We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Everything was going great for a while. Of course it was. You know, there are going to be good times, but the fact is the warning signs were there. Throughout that good time, the warning signs were there. We were told there would be a regression. We were told the regression was coming, and here it is. We're living that regression now because Tim's back. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We have regressed back to a podcast that includes Tim. You can find him on Twitter. It's still better. Hello, Tim. Bonnoich. Bonnich and in, in, indeed, does that mean I'm a cunt or is that something? What is that? Uh, no, it just means good evening. Oh, okay. Well, fine then. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're not a cunt. That's though. true. Both <laughs> could be true. Uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause on my pants. Hello, pause. Woo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, we're going to talk about sexy lingerie uh, a little bit down the road, but unfortunately, we're not going to be talking about very sexy football. It was anything but. It was a scoreless loss to West Ham 1 0. Um, that has people asking for the first time maybe some pointed questions about Unai Emery. And I will let you know we are going to ask some of those same pointed questions on this podcast. I think it is important to reiterate, as we always do, um, that the pointed questions we are going to ask doesn't necessitate the conclusion that the guy should be sacked and thrown in the East River. Um, I mean, Speak for yourself. Yeah, well, first of all, you'd have to buy him a plane <laughs> ticket to New York uh, to throw him in the East River. And as we know, Stan Kroenke is not willing to back him with those kinds of funds. So we're, we're not going to do that. Um, we do have a uh, transfer pod up on Patreon if you want to listen to it. It's been popular, and I think it's still fairly relevant. Nothing to invalidate it yet. Um, and we will have another one coming this week. So lots of fun stuff happening there. And if you've signed up, we, we really do appreciate you. We, we appreciate you generally for listening to this Um 
But this isn't what you tuned into, me just waffling. You've tuned into hearing these other intelligent gentlemen. Yes, Paul, I include you in that list. Um, talk about the Arsenal. So, so uh, without further adieu, let's get to it. And Tim, I will start with you. Um, a, a topic of discussion that has been popular lately is whether Unai Emery is inherently a little too conservative, whether that conservatism is a bad fit for a big club. We came out with the back three again. Uh, Mesut Ozil left out for <coughs> tactical reasons. Um, you know, so when you we look- could get that third fullback on the bench. Well, there you very go. Tactic- we- very tactically important move. Full- fullbacks are very important when your entire <laughs> build-up play is overlapping fullbacks from the wings, crossing it to your strikers. Um, just you know, without the benefit of hindsight and how it went, did you look at that lineup and look at that bench and think, gosh, he he's really uh, hoping to bank on on a more defensive performance? Um, a little bit, yeah. And I'm, um, I, I guess I'm, I'm. Uh, these days, I'm a naturally kind of cautious person, so I don't actually mind that that much. And if you'd have told me in the summer Arsenal are going to be a bit more cautious, particularly away from home, I, I don't think I would have um, had a massive objection to that. To be honest, I think an injection of caution isn't necessarily a bad idea. Obviously, these things all require a balance. And the the question for me is not whether he's too cautious. It's, it's whether, well, I suppose this is just another way of wording the question. It's about the balance. Has he got the balance right between um, attacking and defending? And uh, I don't think he has yet. Maybe in his mitigation, I'd say, I... I don't think it's possible to pick a balanced 11 with this squad. I just don't. I think it's like whack-a-mole, you know? You get rid of one problem, another one comes up. The defence is awful and always looks exposed, so you put an extra centre-back there to try and shore it up, but then you lose a midfielder, so you lose control of the midfield. So you take off a defender and put on a midfielder and get control of the midfield, but then the defence looks bad. And um, basically, I'm not convinced those problems are solvable with the players that we have i think it's going to take some transfer windows to sort that out i I just think that's that's what the evidence has been showing us since before emery turned up quite frankly um but uh, there's other meta issues isn't there when you look at some of the players who are either on the bench and not playing and and you think well is that you know, are, are we such a, a kind of well-balanced outfit looking towards a particular style that we can turn our nose up at some of those players? Uh, probably not. Uh, well, certainly not at the moment. So I, I'm not as down on the caution thing. Like, um, like you know, in the Huddersfield League game even, I, I wasn't that down on that idea of basically just, just winning the game 1-0. Um, and I'm not... Personally, I'm not one of these people who who really, really feels like I need to be entertained all the time and that I need to see, you know, flowing, passing football all the time. I, I just don't. It's just, it's not in my kind of triangle of needs when I watch Arsenal, um, quite frankly. Um, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. So basically, I, I think I probably agree with you, but I probably wouldn't word it as we're being too cautious. I just don't think that the balance is quite right in that team at the moment. I don't think he really knows what to do with it. And um, I have some sympathy because I don't, I, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, I've espoused playing three from the back a few times on this podcast and, and having seen it a few times, I'm, I'm, I'm not 
that convinced it works but um i've seen him play five other formations that don't work either i think <laughs> fundamentally that's the kind of squad he's got I, I i guess i do think now that maybe we should try to settle on something for better or worse to try and start roughly the same way and if we have to change you know halfway or three quarters of the way through a game then kind of fine but um i i guess what we're seeing is we're beginning to see what we saw last season which was wenger like really just grasping at straws trying to get something that works and that's you know if if two different managers are experiencing that it's it's because they haven't quite got the right personnel yeah, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I would argue that maybe Emery's trying to do it with one arm and one leg tied behind his back because if you looked at this squad and said, it's imbalanced, it's imperfect, and it's going to be bad at something, I think I would say, well, then mm. I'm going to lean into it being bad defensively and good yeah. in attack. And I'm not sure that's what's happened. And so, Paul, I I, I took notes during this game, <laughs> um, which, you know, why Why wouldn't I take notes during this game so that we could ha- still have these sort of formless conversation we're planning on having? But, you know, one thing that I kept writing down in my notes is who's going to fl- play the final pass? Um, it's an underrated skill. I really think it is. I mean, you know, we we have Aubameyang and Lacazette. They are two very talented strikers. There's no denying it. But for whatever their qualities, they are not the guy that's going to play the final pass to create the chance. Not that they can't. It's just not their primary skill. And as we've discussed a lot, that's not really a Wobi skill either. And so everything seemed to be built around the wingbacks. And Maitland-Niles was very sloppy and, you know, I still don't think is a reliable creative influence. I mean, just to give you an idea of how much we've been relying on Klasenak, he's one of the highest expected assist creators in the entire league, our left wingback. Um, so this is all building up to a question, I assure you. And my question is basically this, you know, and, and you can lean into the Ozil conversation as an answer to this if, if you'd like, because you know, I like to set the rules and have them not be followed. But is that really the issue? You know, there's a video going around Twitter that showed all the misplaced passes and sloppiness. But when I looked at it, what I really saw was just a lack of precision in the final third. And the final third is an area of the pitch where you, you need a, a different set of qualities. Is that really what's missing in this setup with Emery? Someone who is adept at making those those accurate, precise final third distributions. So this guy goes to the doctor and he tells the doctor, when I do this, when, when I, I push this point here, it really hurts. And the doctor says, Don't push well, that. Stop, pu- stop pushing that. Yeah, yeah, I know so the joke. Yeah. my suggestion <laughs> would be to stop writing that down, Elliot. Stop writing because it's going to be true <laughs> every time but, I write it down. Yeah, about, about no final ball. Um, it was the issue with, to me, the biggest issue with the game was that. I actually thought it will be had a good game, but that job is too big for him. I thought it was excellent. I thought he was excellent. It's just yeah. when he gets to the final third, that's not... We've gone over this a million times, just not his best skill. Yeah. It's not his best skill, and yet he managed to have a good game. And, you know, it, it, when we say that this squad, this team and this squad wasn't good enough, and you look at that game... Um, you know, you might have suspected, if I told you we perform poorly and you went looking for individual players who would be the problem, you might have expected it would be um, Mustafi maybe lets us down or something like that. Um, and, I mean, I don't think he had a, a particularly good game and he made a couple of mistakes, but he's not the reason we didn't win. Uh, Maitland-Niles on the, on, as wing-back... Um, 
he had a sloppy game, as you said. But I don't think you can put it all on him. And I think a lot of other people on, on the team are good enough for us to be good. And yet the, the sum of all of this is so unimpressive at the moment. And you, there's so many places you can go looking for the problems, which is great for a podcast, but lousy for a fan. <laughs> um, but the, I do agree with you that the one area you could clearly say cost us this game was a lack of creativity because if you have issues with our defense i mean it wasn't an individual error i mean they looked really good they looked really sharp i think they were going to get a goal one way or another and you don't have to put it on a, a defender at one particular moment who made a mistake uh, regardless how the how the goal came back i mean if you look at who was the most creative arsenal player on the field it was nasri um, by some way now, now. <laughs> and they were playing like we would have wanted to play up front I mean they were exciting creative some of the some of their their combinations were eye-catching we had none of that um, and yet as I say when I look around the pitch you know uh, individual players did okay the collective did poorly um, and we just don't have seem to have a lot of zip about us. So no, it's, it's just it's very. very Let me ask you an uncomfortable question. All right, mm. not not you though. I'm going to ask it to Clive because I want to make him uncomfortable. Clive, let me ask yeah. you an uncomfortable question. Let's say you take Aubameyang and Lacazette out of our eleven that started that game, and you take Arnautovic and Nasri, or let's say Arnautovic and Anderson. They're two best attacking players out of their their side. Of the remaining nine players on each team, who has the better squad? I thought West Ham's team on paper looked really good. I mean, are these uh, players that good? That's really kind of my point. Like, he's he's well, not playing very they look good really players. Good. <laughs> yeah, they look really good, apart from the back four, who are a bit average. But you look at their name on names on paper, they had a really strong team out for the day. right? So, And I felt before the game that we had to make them do things they didn't want to do. And I think you, I can listen to you both, and I think the hearing lies the problem, right? We don't approach away games with the swagger of a top six club. We go into these games and we started off bright in this game and then we dropped off and we slowed down. We passed the ball in the wrong areas. We then passed into areas where we can get dispossessed. And slowly but surely, after about 15 minutes, the old, these not a lot, not that good scenario started to happen and West Ham became encouraged the first five or ten minutes I'm thinking this is going to be easy right we're running through them it's going to be easy but then we don't hold our approach I've just seen a stat on TV tonight Man City have scored something like 10 goals in the first 15 minutes of a, of a premiership game I wonder how many goals we scored in the first 15 minutes of any game this we season. can't win a half we know that <laughs> right so think about that that means straight away you're always in an arm wrestle Every single game in an arm wrestle. And if you happen to not be on form, you're not controlling the story of the game. So the whole approach to the game has gone. So even during that um, you know, 22-match run, there were games when we didn't play very well. But for big periods of those games, our intent to play, our reactions to mistakes, our intensity and directness was there and it increased and it increased and increased. What I'm starting to see now is a lack of intensity, slow passing, slow footedness, and a reaction when we lose the ball or make a mistake, which is 
I'm telling you, mate, some of it's disgraceful. There was a crossfield ball from Maitland Niles that he had a Bamiyang faced up to Zabaleta, who is 106 years of age, right? And he dinked this ball up in the air, which was perfect for a defender, got cut out. Zabaleta transitions, and I watched Maitland Niles almost walk back. It was slower than the Theo jog when he's being substituted. It was that slow. And I just watched it and I thought, there's something gone here. There's something gone. Because during those games, we saw a basics and fundamentals of reactions, of intensity, on work rate, on running kilometers. I didn't see any of that. I just saw lazy players, just like last year's away games, it felt exactly the same. People not covering for their mistakes, hiding on the pitch, and not playing for you know the football club. Now, if this happened last year. I would say there's a problem with the manager. Has he lost the dressing room? It was it was that bad to me. It was that bad, and and I was of all the games this season, I was absolutely disgusted with that performance because if you've got a situation where Zabaleta and Mark Noble are outrunning you, you have got a problem. You have got a real problem about your approach to the football matches. And, and and that's what we saw. And I think we're talking about systems and back threes. Yeah, back three, we spend too much time passing amongst the defenders. Right, we know that. Our exit plans were not good. I'm not, I'm not sure about the midfield construct. But you know, it all comes down to the approach and the attention to play. And that's what's changed this year. But now we've changed back. And I suppose we're going to speculate as to why. Yeah. And there could be a thousand reasons. But I, mate, I'd take that, one. That I'd was, settle for one. Was, um, <laughs> that was 2017, 2018, Arsenal. That was on Saturday. On, yeah. On it, Saturday, it, it, it was so. very reminiscent of that. And, I, you know, I think, look, Tim, my, my point in asking that previous question was to sort of just – you know, allude to the fact that Emery put a team out there that apart from Lacazette and Aubameyang would be home in mid-table, would be home in the bottom half of the table. I mean, Shaka is a quality player. I don't d- dispute that, but we know what his weaknesses are. The mm. The back three wasn't made up of, you know, anyone who at this point in their career would be considered, you know, top-tier talent. Mm. Kolasinac, maybe you could debate it. Maitland-Niles, maybe down the road someday, certainly not at this stage of his career. Um, you know, Ganduzi is 19, and... and the talent that is there is precocious, but where he is in his development certainly is not the finished article. And and Iwobi is a, a ball carrier. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, a number eight. So I don't know, I don't know why Emery has decided to put his stall out with the players he has. Maybe it really is like the, the jokes that are kind of going on social media now that what he prizes most is work rate, industry, effort, energy, players that seem committed to the cause. But he's doing it at the expense of talent. In Ozil, Ramsey, and you know, in this case, Torreira, who he may have just felt, for one reason or another, you know, would not have been a fit in this setup. I'm not really sure what it is. I mean, what's your take on how he's using the squad and why a new manager who's got a lot to prove has, you know, basically planted his flag with someone like Ganduzi, for example, at the expense of someone like Ramsey or obviously mm-hmm. Mesut Ozil. Yeah, I think um, a lot, a lot about this, uh, this team, as you allude to, can be, you can draw conclusions by the players that aren't playing, basically. So Ozil's not playing, Ramsey's not playing, Torreira's not playing, Bellerin's not playing, and um, like you said, aside from the front two, if you were going to do a list of who are Arsenal's, you know, players that would trouble other top six sides, those are pretty much the names you're looking at. 
Um, and and I think actually that's that's not ju- that's significant not just because of the quality, but we started Lacazette and Aubameyang up front. And the weird thing is, for the first fifteen twenty minutes of really this good. game, yeah. I th- I thought we attacked really well, and I was thinking we're getting through them here. Um, you know, Lacazette's picking up space and they're not getting him. Awobi's carrying the ball very well and they're not getting to him. Aubameyang's lurking on the shoulder and they, they, di- they didn't really seem to know where to go. And then, for some reason, Aubameyang and Awobi were swapped for about 10 minutes and I, I have absolutely no idea why because... It took away everything good Iwobi was doing, everything good, you know, all of the threat of Aubameyang. And um, the the kind of the momentum really seemed to die because all of a sudden, all of our build-up was going through Aubameyang and Aubameyang's like going back towards Kolasinac. And I mean, we've already seen this season that if you put Aubameyang and Kolasinac on the same side, um, you know, uh, that's not good for Kolasinac because he needs Iwobi there to feed him the ball. It's not good for us defensively. I, I really don't understand what the thinking was behind switching those two players when we look really dangerous. He switched them back again, and quite but quite a lot of the momentum had gone. West Ham kind of tightened up. I think there was an injury um, somewhere, and uh, Pellegrini got nearly all of his players over, and they and and they started to plug that gap a little bit more. And um, I, I I really I'm just at a bit of a loss to understand why he thought to switch those two players into into roles that didn't suit them anymore at a time where I thought we looked quite good. Um, but, the, the, but the other thing about the players we left out is um, that that's a lot of our build-up. You, know, you, you saw how much Ramsey stressed West Ham when he came on, and he didn't do anything amazing. He just went and stood in space. Um, which which was something that you know that that's not in Jacker or Gendouzi's game, um, but also you know we without Bellerin there as well we just and West Ham had kind of figured out the Awobi Awobi to Kalasanac thing because we always do it, and um, it was it was like watching us try to progress the ball through the thirds once it got to Iwobi it kind of looked all right you're right Iwobi's not then the player you want. You know, to play the final ball, like um, a, a goal. I think to look back on is um, I think one Theo Walcott scored when we beat Chelsea three nil a couple of seasons ago, mm-hmm. and it was where you know Kazola plays the ball to Awobi, Awobi switches, goes to Özil, Özil back to Awobi, Awobi out wide um, to Bellerin, Bellerin cuts back to Walcott, and and in there you've got you know you've got Kazola progressing the ball from one third to the other, then you've got Awobi tying it up uh you know tying things together and giving it to Ozil and the problem was it, it won't be I, th- I thought played really well but he had no one he had to fight just to get the ball because there was no one to give it to him and then you know you don't really want Iwobi making the final pass. What you want him to do is to bring it to someone like Özil or Ramsey so they can dispense the final ball. You know Iwobi's a link player and he had nobody to link with and that's because watching us try, try to progress the ball from the edge of our area to West Ham's final third was honestly, it was like pushing, it was like watching someone try and push a boulder up a muddy hill. It was so stodgy and slow. And You're going to want to hire we, that workout, by the way. You just go on like <laughs> the Fiverr.com or something like that. And, and it's just like, because there's no one that really 
carries the ball there. You know, Jacka and Genduzi. I, I mean, I think they're too similar, really, to play together. Yeah. And you just don't have that someone to just link the thirds together. And it's, it's uh, and part of it's because we left all of the players that can remotely do that out. Um, and well, see, and but I see, think that that's the point too, right? A back three doesn't, by definition, have to be a conservative setup if your no. st- approach to using it is more uh, buccaneering, right? If you have one yeah, player yeah. who sits and one goes. Remember when we used it with Wenger and he used Shaka and Ramsey, and Shaka sat and Ramsey went. That was not mm-hmm. a conservative use of the back three. He he was committing an extra resource to the attack. This group doesn't have that. Yeah, yeah, precisely, precisely, and it it just got, it just got so stodgy, and it still wasn't great to be honest. Even when Ramsey and Torreira came on, it was better, just because they stood in different places. Whereas you know, Xhaka and Genduzi were right next to each other. You know, parallel lines. You had the back three parallel lines. None of them stepping out and doing perhaps what David Luiz used to do at the centre of Chelsea's back three. Like like you said, he wasn't a defender as such in that back three. He was he was the first creator. But we didn't we didn't really have anyone doing that. So we had like. You know, Socrates like slowly rolling the ball to Xhaka, who looks up and he has all he's got is Genduzi like five yards to his right. And then Genduzi gets it. And, you know, he might occasionally find Iwobi, but it was all like it was staccato. It was like um, it was, you know, when you get the formation graphic on the screen, it was kind of like the team stayed exactly like that all the time. <laughs> yeah, apart from apart from it. Iwobi and so yeah you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette up front but that you know for, for basically for the whole second half nobody was really bringing them the ball and um that that was the big problem and that's you know that's the problem with with some of the players he left he chose to leave out we're still not great at that even with them but we're better yeah and I'm sorry but I just think eventually it becomes a situation where the opposition figures out that all you're trying to do is get it into the half spaces so you can play in the wingbacks overlapping. Like I, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. There was no one playing through central spaces. I mean, the first 15 minutes we did a little of it with Lacazette dropping in and I thought he did really well with that, but you know, who was running beyond no one. So it was, it was very easy to cut out. I think eventually West Ham figured out, you know, they can get to our final third. They can't do anything once they're there. There's no, you know, there's no one who's going to cut us open, and so they were able to stay very organized, get the ball back, and then and then play it into the space behind where the wingbacks had, had vacated. I don't, I don't really see how this was set up for success. And Clive, I guess what I I think we have to ask, and it is a fair question, because back during the the undefeated run, there were people saying the stats here are worrying. And there's regression coming. We all said there's no regression coming because Emery's making progress and that progress will improve. And it did start to improve around the time of Bournemouth and Spurs. The numbers started to improve. And we said, see, this is the improvement we were talking about. Sure, the numbers weren't great before, but there's no regression coming. Well, now, over the past couple weeks, we are playing the same way we were playing during the winning run, but we're getting the results that those numbers suggested were coming. So the tough question I have to ask you is, are we playing worse or are we just getting the results that we lucked our way out of earlier in the season? Uh, I think um, I'm not sure if we're having the same amount of shots as we were having back then in the golden period. I think I mean, maybe we went what the last them. 23 minutes without a shot in this game, chasing the game. Yeah, exactly. it's Not great. <laughs> I don't think we're having the same volume of shots uh, as, as we did. 
we our conversion rate may already have been ahead of where we should be but we were getting a higher volume of shots maybe not as high as it has been in the past but we're, we're now creating we're creating less and I, I think we probably learned something from this game if you are going to play a back three i don't think you can have two forwards right so you've got to make sure that you have the build-up play and if you are going to play a back four, then maybe you can have two forwards. Because some of the people that are key to our build-up and key to our striking, they didn't play very well. I'm not one for blaming individuals for results. But there's some big names that really didn't play well. You know, we can talk about our two forwards. Did they play well? Bamyang, you know, he didn't play that well. Shaka, who I'm a big fan of, he did not play well. It was no surprise to me. That Shaka came up before Gwen Doozy did. I thought he was terrible in this game. And and I just felt that our back three took comfort from each other. And as Tim alluded to there, there was no one being proactive. There's nobody saying, Well, I haven't got many I haven't got much to do. I'm gonna help drive us forward and step into midfield. As a Rob Holding was doing when he was in the back three, he would step forward into midfield and set us going on our left-hand side and attract people to him, which then leaves space for somebody else. And I felt, even though the back three players were our best three names, I felt they were lazy. I thought they looked after themselves. I think they stayed flat. I don't think they watched people around them. They let people run off them. And they didn't help our, our midfielders at all. And I, and I thought they gave a lazy performance in, on the offensive side of things. I don't think they helped us progress in any way or form. So when I saw those three names, I felt pretty good. But actually, it's about how you play. And I, didn't, I thought they played a 6 out of 10 game. And we got a 6 out of 10 performance. I still have the feeling, Elliot, I have got a, a slightly longer a memory. And sometimes in football, you forget everything, right? And... After this not just in football, we... man. Just, just <laughs> everything. I, it's you know, it's kind of like people that delete their past tweets. I just, I just flush all of it. <laughs> yeah, after this first game, right? We all. It wasn't just the the win. It was the performance. It was everything about that performance. The verve, the dash, everything. The speed of thought, the speed of foot, the speed of movement, and it and it's just gone. And that keeps striking back to me. And it's been made more apparent by some other games. You know, I, I don't want to say Liverpool Man City game, the Spurs Man United game. It just looked faster. It looked more intense. It looked at a level that I'm not sure we could reach. However, we have reached it. We played Liverpool at home. We played Spurs at home. So what's the problem? What happens when we go away? Do we have the swagger? Do we have the personality to deliver on our talent? It, some, uh, you know, I, I'm 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 absolutely perplexed. I was dreading this podcast because. I might say something I might regret. Right? So I was I'm going to try to tease that out of you. <laughs> I'm dreading it because I, I just I, I just don't know what's happened to the fundamentals that were in place, regardless of execution, regardless of chances we conceded. There was some direction. There was some positivity. There was not people turning away from through balls. Now we've just reverted, and I am perplexed as to why. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I can give some suggestions, which we'll probably get into later. But I, I just am perplexed as to why this has suddenly happened. We seem to have lost all of our personality, and well, the whole, this whole thing is concerning me, Elliot, because the more this goes on. The, the smaller the smaller our bags looks, mate. That's, that's what it feels like to me. Well, and I, I don't disagree with you. I, the only thing I would say is, you know, the, the question remains how much of this is new and how much of this there were warning signs of. We are now 
Seven games this season where we've had fewer than one expected goal for the game. There's no one in the top six close to that. And I don't, you know, look, expected goals isn't everything, but I think it shows you that from a build-up standpoint and a creativity standpoint, while we've scored some goals in some games, we have not consistently created a high-quality, high-volume of chances enough this season for a team with our attacking flair. And so, Paul, you can't get much further without trying to interrogate the Mesut Ozil situation. Explain to me... So, let's take for face value what Emery has said about Ozil. Face value. Didn't think he was a fit for this game. The players he needed for this game were were with him and on the bench. There's no excuse for that, right? There's absolutely no possible explanation where that stated reason is acceptable, right? Footballistically, correct. Yeah, footballistically. That's exactly what I mean. So... Do you have any renewed thought? You and I debated quite hotly in the past, you know, who who you have to side with in the Emery thing and that Emery has to have the power, and I totally understood what you meant and where you're coming from. Is there a point, though, where players might start to look at it and say, you know, I know Mesut Ozil, and he's a good guy, and I like him, and he's really, really, really talented, and he's a fantastic player, and our manager's hounding him out of the team, and I'm not sure how I feel about this. I mean, at what point does Emery's clash with Ozil go beyond the pitch and become a problem for him in the dressing room as well? How about just uh, sometime halfway through the West Ham game? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I do think this is a really interesting time in the season. So you know, I had an argument with you. I have this brilliant ability to just forget whatever the fuck I said in the past and just come in where I am. And it's it, super it, convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am shameless at ignoring things I've said in the past. So, And I did plenty of arguing over the weekend, or at least discussing, debating, and some arguing with people on Twitter. And I have to say, I've kind of changed how I feel about quite a lot of things about Emery and the first season with Emery and what I think is and isn't acceptable uh, and kind of the litmus test uh, and when it should be applied and on what. And I kind of, I've spent a good two days just kind of chewing on this shit. I haven't come up with any great... You chew on shit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it beat thinking about Arsenal and it certainly took my mind off it. Yeah, watching um, that game was like chewing on shit, so fair enough. Yeah. So I don't think I came up with any great conclusions, but how I felt about where we're at and etc is significantly different so yeah i would have backed the manager to say hey you you've you gave ozil a chance you gave him a chance to respond there's been a lot of shit thrown at emery about how he had some interview with the boys and said he had a plan for ozil and ramsey uh and like you'll see quite a significant number of people saying that they're pissed off that he had a plan for ozil and ramsey and look where we are. Well, has anybody done an interview? Did it, Was anybody going to get this job without having a plan for Ozil and Ramsey? Is there perhaps at least 50% on, it, on the player to respond in the case of, of Ozil? Because Ramsey has responded. We may not have a brilliant plan for him, but he's definitely responded and he's definitely contributing. So I do think there's a huge piece of this on Ozil. There's just no two ways about it. The problem for Emery was always going to be I fully, you know, uh, I fully back Emery as long as whatever direction he goes in works, right? That comes with the job. It, it's a results-based business, yep. Yeah, he put his stake in the ground. It may have been more Ozil's fault than his. 
Um, Ozil may not have responded, but at the same time, these are the problems he had to solve. And so, yeah, uh, I back Emery all the way with Ozil, but plan B, or as it became plan A over time, it had to work. And I think the players, you know, this is an interesting time because it's just after the holidays. We're 21 games into the season. We're, past, we're even past the halfway mark. So you can't help but the, the reports start to come in at this stage at, which, at, a, at a point in the season in which you say, well, why would we think the second half is go- of the season is going to be substantially different to the first half based on the tea leaves we can read? And he's announced no new players coming in, bar a loan or two, maybe. And the reaction we had, what what reaction do the players have? I mean, they might have been okay and like me, right behind them with them taking a ballsy position with Ozil. But then they look at the second half of the season and they say, what what's our joker in the pack here? What's going to change? You know, they may not want a player coming into their position in the team in the second half of the year, but they want to hear somebody's coming in to make them better. And if that ain't happening, then they're stuck with Emery and where he's at. The you know he's tried everything at this point. He's tried every configuration. Um, so I'm not beyond hope, but you can understand why the players suddenly hit a bit of a wall. In this game of all games, after that announcement, after the kind of deflation within the fans, probably matched to some degree, even if they didn't want to, with a deflation within the players. You know, where's the cavalry? What's happening in the second half of the season? What new tricks is Emery going to come out with? Because they can see we're not good enough. Yeah, and I have to tell you something. Look, we all wanted tactical flexibility. I think we agreed that Arsene Wenger was too idealistic. The problem with the degree of change and pragmatism memory is displaying is when you are changing everything from game to game, and in some cases from half to half, at some point the players cannot establish a clear rhythm and pattern of their play within that system. You know, you say, oh, a new manager needs time to instill his philosophy, to instill his ideas. But if his ideas are different every week, you can never learn them. And if you can never learn them, you can never get comfortable. Automatism. And, and if those changes, I mean, it's one thing to keep making changes because things are working and then you want to adjust for a different game state. But it's kind of exhausting when you're always chasing the game and chasing the performance and always a goal down. Those are why we keep making cha- two, two formation changes a game. So... Uh, it, it's very tough on a team to go through all of these iterations you're talking about and it always be from a position of weakness and not strength. Yeah, look, the way big teams hammer small teams is get the first goal. Because once you get a first goal against a small team and they have to come out at you more, then you can fucking step on them, right? Because the space opens up and they can't live with you. So, Tim, I mean, before we take a break, I mean, first, th- this is a theory that you've been espousing on social media, so I want to give you a chance to, to articulate it more fully here. Um, not that we really articulate things here. We just make mouth noises into a microphone. Um, I mean, do you think that there is a worry that with all the chopping, all the changing, the lack of a commitment to any clear plan, and then the, the ostracizing of arguably the biggest talent in the squad, if not the best player, you know, the, the biggest talent, mm. the lack of use of Aaron Ramsey. I mean, if you're Obama Yang and you say, I came here thinking I was going to play with Mesut Ozil and Aaron Ramsey and I'm playing with mm. Alex Iwobi and, and Matteo Ganduzzi, you know, who I'm sure he loves as a person, but you get my point. I mean, at what yeah. point does this lack of conviction and commitment to an approach translate itself to the players as a, a lack of, I, I, I want to word this carefully, but, mm. you know, a, 
a lack of competence, you know, or capability to mm. handle a job that's very, very big. Yeah, and that that's the big question. So what I was <clears throat> kind of saying on Twitter this morning was we've, uh, as, as a fan base, we've been very, very, we've gazed at our navels a lot and asked what does it mean to us we've got our arsenal back how do we feel can we see the direction can we see the philosophy and, and none of that's really that important to be honest for anything it's very important than, to me <laughs> for anything other than arguing with each other on twitter um when we could be using our time doing something more valuable what, what matters is can the players see those things and um, I, I wrote about this a couple of months ago, actually, at kind of, I think, maybe just after the Spurs game, where everyone was feeling quite good about the fact that Emery was changing formations and making loads of half-time subs. And I I kind of wrote something saying that that's all very well, but you, that can't really survive as a long-term strategy um, because eventually players get confused, they get disillusioned, and they probably just get pissed off um, with being substituted all the time or not knowing when it's their turn to come off at half time for example and and you you know it's it's quite a short term thing but i think we were we were all right to fly with it at first because we were kind of thinking well surely this won't endure um but then yes you do get in you do get into this territory and obviously since then you know the urzil situation has developed it's developed even more and um, <clears throat> absolutely, you know, as Paul said, there, there is no way that Ozil was being left out for tactical reasons. So we can have three fullbacks on the bench. That's just that's just not true. It's it's a disciplinary issue. It's because they've fallen out. And, uh, uh, you know, we we're kind of grasping in the dark because we don't really know what's happened. But I mean, Ozil's not unpopular in the squad. He's got friends. And it's one thing to do that when you're winning. But when you're not. I, you know, his the the people, particularly the people with with whom he's friendly in the squad, and and you're right to look at Aubameyang as well, um, and someone like that, thinking, well, these guys could could really help me as well as the team. Then yeah, you you really you really do risk that. And and the other thing, I I think I've said quite a few times, and again, I I'm not saying this like to say, look at me, aren't I really smart? Maybe a little bit. I'll say it um, for you. So you just but, say your thing, and then I'll, I'll say it. But um. But to point out, because obviously when results aren't going well, it's, you know, we can all get into the conspiracy theories and we can all think of, we can think of a hundred th reasons why things are going wrong. And when things are going right, you don't need to think of reasons why they're going right, they're going right. <clears throat> but I think something I've said fairly regularly over the last couple of months is when Emery speaks in public, I don't understand what he's trying to say. I don't, I can't decipher what he's saying. I don't know what the messages are. I've spoken to some people um, kind of uh, offline, shall we say, who who transcribe his press conferences, who are saying like, we, you know, usually you have a kind of duty when you're transcribing, if someone's not speaking their first language, to kind of tidy things up for them. If, you know, if you think, oh, OK, that's not exactly what he said verbatim, but that's definitely what he meant. And you kind of clean up the transcription a little bit. And I'm speaking to people um, and, and, I, and I'll say this is no one from Arsenal, um, so I'm not, I'm not going that deep on the on the conspiracy theory, but saying I tried to transcribe his press conferences and it's so hard because I don't understand, not only don't understand what he's saying, but I don't understand what he's trying to say. And um, and I've, I've been kind of wondering, 
And and listen, I know that um, the training pitch and the press conference are two completely different environments. He's got a lot more support on the training pitch. He's got peers, he's got colleagues and things like that. But I, I have been wondering for the last couple of months, I'm like, did the players understand his messages? Because I don't. And look, me not understanding is not important, basically, but it's important that they understand. And if he speaks on the training pitch, you know, like he does in 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 the press room, then... You know, I have to say, if I if I were one of those players, I'd I'd be you know I'd be in the ear of my teammate, kind of going, what? Yeah. What what, what, what did what does that mean? And I and I and I'm not I'm not that convinced it's a language thing because when you're struggling with a second language, you grasp for words or you say words that aren't quite right. What, what he's doing is like using a lot of words to say nothing, which is not really a kind of tick you develop speaking a second language if anything it's the opposite you don't have the vocabulary but and uh, and you know it might it might iron out in time he might speak to them completely differently he might have one face for the press and one for the players but but ultimately i i find him quite difficult to understand and that could be an issue as well tim look at you look at how smart you are um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't want you to and, have to and say if, it. And even <laughs> even if like he's explaining to the players, you know, this is why I'm leaving Meza Urzel out. You know, is is he explaining that in in a in a well, plain? I'll, I'll disagree with this only in one respect. The players will know very clearly why Mesut is being left out. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, they yeah. will either have seen yeah. fights and yeah. falling out, or they will have seen Mesut throw a strop, or they will have heard Mesut say, if you do not start me, I do not play at all. You know, I mean, they'll know. Yeah, yeah. They'll know what's going on. Yeah. That's one area where I don't know that communication is as important, because what we all agree on is Mesut is not being left out for tactical reasons. That's an absurdity. Um, uh, I, Clive, I want to just get your follow-up on this. The one thing I will say is, you can use his own words, I think, to be a little confused, too, because if you look at the statements he made at the beginning of the season, I want us to have protagonists on the pitch. I want us to intensely win the ball back. We're not doing that either anymore. You know. So what little you could glean from what he was saying earlier, we've certainly pivoted from. The thing that struck me is we, we don't press. That's not a part of what we do. We don't defend deep. That's certainly not something we do. So we're not counterattacking. You know, you could play a more defensive setup if you're going to press and transition because you don't need as many attacking players on the pitch to transition, right? You win the ball back. Those are quick attacks. You don't you don't necessarily need a Mesodozo, right? The same way Spurs don't have one and Liverpool don't have one. But if you're going to sit deep and build from the back, you do. And I, I don't really see the commitment to a philosophy. And that's going to lead me to another point after the break about backing them in the transfer market and things like that. But Clive, you want to just sort of follow up on what Tim was talking about? Yeah, so I think Tim's alluding to communication um, in in press conferences. I think I think the club has a communication issue. Full stop. Right? If you think back to <clears throat> our manager, whether we our previous manager, whether we agreed with his tactics or not, the man could talk forever. Right? So communication came from one person, and we we could debate, but we had clear communication. Right? We haven't got an owner that speaks. We've got new people in the in the, um, in the executive angle with Raul and, and Vinny, for example. They're, they're not big talkers, right? Ivan's gone. He was a bit of a talker, and when it suited him, he's gone. So we're lacking communication. I will sort of differ, differ on one point with Tim. I think with football and coaching, coaching and football language is 
it's different. It's easy. It's easy to get your points across on a football pitch, and and people do it in different languages, for example, and you do it by movements. I think if you think back to Emery's first interview when he was talking about the platitudes around the job, he struggled with the language. When he was talking about the football side of the job, suddenly his language became more clear. I think he's a a very strong football coach, but I do think as a club. We have a, a need from a fan base that we have clear communication. And it's and it's not there. We're not getting it. And this lack of clarity coming from the club is causing the 1,000 strands and threads that we're all discussing online because we're piecing together bits of written and, and second language information and we're trying to create a narrative and a story to try to add up what's going wrong and we weren't doing this when the results were going well but now when you think back at it actually i started to question what the club actually needs do we need to fill that communication gap for us because i think at the moment it's the biggest thing we're missing is clarity on where we're going because we're concerned we're concerned on the financial side we're concerned on the transfer window side we're concerned on the playing side we can we're concerned at all different angles we know we're going for a restructure we know that's going to continue we know we're going for a cost phase but actually we don't know because no one's actually saying it and so we're arguing these points and it come it comes down to I'm thinking for the first time I'm thinking, hold on a minute here, we've got a coach that I think is very, very good. And from a football angle and a tactical angle, I'm thinking this is just what we wanted. But actually as a club, do we need something else? And I thought I had this little doubt come from my mind to say, does is he the right manager for this club right now? for what we need to unite us. There needs to be a unifying factor somewhere, and I'm not sure with the way he communicates, he can do it through bad times. Now, my feeling is I want to stick with, you know, stick with a coach, stick with a manager. I'm not saying he should go, but for the first time I had a doubt and said, actually, Arsenal might need something else, a connector, a communicator, and clarity. Mm. Whether that comes through the manager or comes through somebody else in the club, it's what's required because we're splintering and we're piecing together information and without that unity, without that clear strategy, without that clear direction, we're going to be in this place for a long time. It feels that way. Let me ask you a super quick question. You know, like a one or two sentence answer. Okay. Would we be better off if he just gave his press conferences in Spanish and communicated in full and we translated them and then people could sink their teeth into something with a little more clarification as opposed to Broke And again, by the way, full credit to him for trying to learn the language. I'm not picking on a guy for trying to learn a language. I know one and a half languages. I tried to learn French. I lived in France. I picked it up. It's very hard. I get what that's like. What I'm saying is not he's an idiot and he didn't learn English. What I'm saying is, is he not being helped by the fact that we can't read yeah. the fullness of his ideas following his press I, 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 You know what, mate? I thought about this, and, and, and Tim will know this. You know, He's got a lot closer to this side of things. When you do your sort of press conference, there is a bit where you go out you know, live. We all see that online. But then there's a bit when they go and you talk to the papers, right? And you talk to the Sundays or the weekend papers, wherever it is. And you can sit down and you can really go on the, the detailed information. That's embargo till about 10.30 at night, right? I often wonder, that's his opportunity to sit there with somebody else, with a translator, and really get his point across. 
right? And really go into detail. So we get to learn about him. So we get to understand him. Because let's be honest, when he seems the sort of manager that you like when we're winning, but I think it's important for his own perception that we like him, that we connect to him. And I don't think that's happening at the moment. And I'm looking at some of the, the top three majors, and there's a new major coming at Southampton, and they are connectors. They work on their connection to the fan base. And I think someone at Arsenal needs to either support this man because he's, and he's an outstanding football coach, but maybe he's not a people-person connector. And I think we need, we need someone to really help him there. Okay. Well, then, Paul, let me ask you this before we take the break, because I think you're going to drop off after the break, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it is absolutely fair to say that Unai Emery has been brought into a very challenging situation where he is managing another person's players, uh, you know, another club's signings, that he's been thrown into a, a tough situation with the Mesut Ozil contract and Mesut Ozil where he is in his head and his career and what he wants, that it's an imbalanced squad that he's been handed you know, all of these challenges, and now he's told he can't even go sign players in his first window where he could really start to build a team that fits, you know, his image, his style, what he really wants them to do. My question to you is, what's fair to Emery and what's fair in terms of evaluating him? Because my argument would be this. When he sat down to interview for this job, surely... <laughs> He was told what the situation is. You know, here are the funds. Here's where some of them are going to go. Here are targets we have in mind right now. Um, You know, we've committed to these players, so you're going to have this. We don't know that we're going to be able to reshape the squad right away for you. Can you work with what we have? What are your plans for Mesut What are your plans for Ramsey? And apparently the reason he was chosen is he gave a very detailed account of what he could do with this squad. Now, it's not necessarily fair that he has to do it with this squad, but he took that job. And there's a part of me that says, like, you know, if you took the job of, you know, working in a company that's losing money, that just got delisted from the New York Stock Exchange, that, you know, is under indictment by the SEC, and you're like, I think I can turn it around, give me that job. You can't complain when you get the job. It's like, well, what was I supposed to do? The company's losing money. It just got delisted and it's under investigation. Like, so my crap analogies aside, is it fair to judge Emery based on what he's doing with a team that's not his own, given that this is the situation that he signed up for? I don't think it's fair to any manager to bring them in and to expect a change in the way the club, the squad, the club plays, and then including that uh, you can't sign a player uh, in the January window. Um, If they'd come back to us and said, well, we looked for the right player and we couldn't get him, and meant that, I don't mean in a PR sense, in a reality sense. Well, so so be it. Um, I just think it's unreasonable to bring in, we're, we're supposed to be a top-level club, bringing in a top-level coach. Nobody's turned around to Mourinho or Klopp or, with the exception of Pochettino, who's getting that in the summer, fair fucks to him. Nobody's turning around to a top-level coach and saying, if you need a player, we won't get it. I could see them saying to him, and interviews work both ways. We just had the Emery side of the interview discussion. I don't know that the club would have said, we are under no circumstances buying you a player in January. They may have said, 
we got to manage our budget and blah, blah, blah. You know, if you really need us to push, you know, we'll do what we need to in the January window. I mean, it's, it's not a great message to send a coach to say the next time we can spend a penny is next summer. And I just wonder if that was the conversation they really had. Um, but whether they had that conversation or not, whether he took on that gambit or not, uh, I think it's unreasonable. There's every chance he was going to reach January and see a significant hole. And who who are we doing a favor here? Uh, cash flow is one thing. Let me tell you what's going to hurt Arsenal's cash flow. If we fucking suck for the rest of this season. Or they, for the rest of eternity, for that matter. Yeah. And we have to change over managers. And we have to start changing. Squ- the most expensive fucking money they're about to spend in their history is the 25 million or the 30 million they didn't spend on a player that he wanted if there's one for this window it's just fucking nuts it's going to be so expensive not to buy that player and we can afford it we have the cash we do not have an issue with wages i never believed we did we could get a player if the will was there we could get that player and regardless of what the plan was for January, if he needs one player, get him his fucking Jorginho or whoever it is, Everbenega. Uh, if it's, um, you know, if it's, uh, what, what's the dude's name? Dennis David, Suarez. D- Dennis Suarez. If it's Suarez, great, but it sounds like we can get him either way. So he's obviously not the critical player for him. Whoever it is, center back, midfielder, if he knows who it is and... It's any kind of reasonable amount of money and the guys available that the answer is I can only loan a player is just the worst fucking message to everybody involved, including the squad. As Tim talked about, it isn't just about us and it isn't just about the managers, it's about the squad. That we didn't have a plan that he could get one player is fucking nuts and we're saving ourselves nothing. Yeah, I, I do think there's an argument to be made that once you hire a new manager, no matter what you've told him about the squad that he has to work with, if he sees things he needs to get where he needs to go and you don't give it to him, you're you're basically setting your course. And that course is a road to nowhere. And I don't you know, that that's the problem. I you know I I know the club has money. The club can spend money. The desire not to spend money in this window and the way Emery communicated it certainly feels like they might be at odds. For fuck's sake, we we went out and got this legendary scout, you know, head of scouting or whatever, player recruitment, whatever you want to call Sven. Surely he can find some guy under a rock, you know, in some city in Europe somewhere who's, you know, we can get for 10 pounds and he's worth 50 million next season. I mean, come on. What's he doing? Um, Paul, do you know what the date is today by any chance? January 14th. January 14th. Do you know what that means? No. One month to Valentine's Day. (laughs) What are you doing to prepare? What have Uh, you done in this window that is open between now and the 14th of February? To make sure that your partner is happy and fulfilled. Filled some ladies' underwear? Exactly. And that's what we're going to tell you about during this break. We are going to get you squared away for Valentine's Day. We are going to talk ladies' underwear. Not just ladies' underwear. We're going to talk about all kinds of beautiful silk things that you can buy in time for Valentine's Day with the enclosed. But we're going to have to take a break to do that. And Paul is not going to be back on the other side of the break. Thanks, Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Woohoo! All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at The Enclosed, The 
E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D.com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month club. That's right. Just like a Beer of the Month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. Look, Valentine's Day is around the corner. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating Valentine's Day with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. All right, we're back, and the real conversation can start because Paul is gone. So, Tim, let me get to you here uh, quickly with... You know, a question about philosophy. I, you know, I wonder with this whole issue of not being able to sign any players in this window, you know, and the, and the way it was sort of told to us by Emery, I, you know, I don't know necessarily if he intended it this way, but to me it comes across almost as being a little frustrated. I don't know if you see it that way. But, you know, I, I guess the, the real question now with Unai Emery is, look, he is our coach. He deserves our support and our patience, at least until he doesn't. And that's, you know, sometime in the future, but certainly not now. I think that's fair. What I want to try to interrogate here is the issue of results versus progress. And mm-hmm. maybe the thing that makes this difficult is Emery had a long run of very good results early in the season. And I think what I'm struggling with with that a little bit is it may have obscured from us the question of whether he was making progress towards a goal of how he wanted us to play and what he wanted us to do. So, you know, first things first, do you think a team can be successful if it doesn't have a clear philosophy about how it wants to play? And then secondly, based on that answer, can you identify areas of progress that we've made under Emery, or is that proving kind of elusive? Um, I, I think, to you know, to be properly successful, um, you know, you... you you do need a philosophy. You do. You do need. You need something to hang your hat on. Um, first, I was going to. I was going to make like a really terrible joke about. Um, I was just going to try and get like you know can't in instead of can't, um, but I just I, I I don't have the northern accent to do it. So it was just you know I kind of I chickened out of it halfway through. It, it always works better when you just explain <laughs> the joke. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I I just you know I just want to explain why I was stuttering a bit there. Um, so no, I, I think particularly at first you've kind of got to have something that you can hang your hat on. Then you develop. Once you get that, once you get that base in, then you go. Then you go off in different directions. And we've seen that with Liverpool, for example. You know, Klopp from day one, everyone knew what he was trying to do with his team. And don't get me wrong, a lot of that was because we were translating what he did with Dortmund. And in this country, we were fairly literate with what with what was happening in the Bundesliga. So we were, you know, and. Dortmund had this very, very distinctive uh, philosophy and style of play. And we all thought, well, he's probably going to try and do that with Liverpool. And that's exactly what he tried to do. And he needed the players to do it. But now Liverpool have switched it up a little bit. And now they've gone, right, we're comfortable with that. We know we can do that. 
and we can do it pretty much at will. But where are we going wrong? We've got to be a bit more defensively solid. So they've done that. They win a lot of away games 1-0, like they did just this weekend past, where they don't wow you with their football. Um, but but effectively, what, what Liverpool are doing is they've developed different ways of playing for different situations. And basically at home, like they did to us, they, they kind of blitz you a little bit. And then away, they're a little bit more, they stand off a little bit. And um, that's what the Invincibles used to do, by the way. I, I think that Arsenal's football was much more, shall we say, swashbuckling. That Some of the best football I've ever seen Arsenal play was in the season before the Invincible season. The beginning of that 2002-03 season, I think, is the best football I've ever seen Arsenal play. But that's because it was all very cavalier. And um, I think Arsene realised that he had to make a bit of an adjustment. And what a lot of people don't really remember in the midst of nostalgia and time, there were, you know, we drew 12 games in that unbeaten season. There were plenty of times, um, you know, I think of like Bolton away during that season, Everton away, where it got to one all with 15 minutes to go. We took a striker off and stuck a midfielder on and we went, right, let's just get out of here with a point. We became more pragmatic because the team had a philosophy. It was very cavalier and very attacking. But once they became comfortable with that, you know, Arsene developed another side to them. And that that's kind of what you do. And, and Spurs have done it with Pochettino as well. Um, Spurs are not the same team they were three years ago. Um, and... And they've developed a slightly different style. They've gone a little bit more direct. They don't quite go through the fullbacks as much. And they've got different they've got different answers to different questions. They either pump the ball into the corner and have Kane and Son chase after it, and they're very good at that. If you shut those corners off, then Ericsson will find a pass to Ali and they'll kill you that way, you know. And and we, we haven't developed these different ways yet, but I kind of, I, I think that before you start going off in these different directions, you have to get a bit of a, you have to get a baseline. You have to get something that the players can follow and understand. And after a couple of years, that that is when you build in the variety. And and at the moment, and and not just at the moment, I I do think this has been the case for a little while. It doesn't look so much like variety. It kind of looks like not panicking, but I think the port the point Paul made was very well made. It's reactive. It's because we're always chasing. It's because we're never really quite playing well. And so, you know, it's a fine line between variety and just confusion. Um and and honestly I I at the moment I think I'd be able to live even with the kind of the four two three one we were doing earlier in the season, which didn't suit well, it didn't suit a lot of our players, quite frankly. But, you know, you kind of over time, you can make decisions and weed out the players that it doesn't suit. Um, and at the moment, it's difficult to do that. So even like my stance on Ramsey has completely changed because at the beginning of the season, I was thinking, right, he doesn't fit in. He do- he can't play that. Well, he can play it, but it's not to his strengths to play that number 10 position. So I was kind of fine with him being left out. I mean, I think we should have sold him before that, but... I was thinking, okay, on Emery's watch, I'm all right with that. But now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, what what is there for Ramsey to not fit into um, at, at this particular moment in time? So for, for me, you you build a style first and then you build the variety. And I, I wonder if we've got this a little bit the wrong way around. Yeah, I want to build on something you just said because it, it really resonates with me. Okay, if you have a clear philosophy, let's say you are an ideologue, right? And you're like, I press that's what I'm about. I'm about, 
you know, a 4-3-3, aggressive, whatever your thing is, you have a clear philosophy. And you say Aaron Ramsey can't play in that clear philosophy. Or Mesut Ozil can't play. Or mm. Aubameyang. I can get behind that because I can say you're coming in with a clear philosophy and you believe that implementing that philosophy will make us better. And there's a, a, a talented player in our squad, but for whatever reason, that talented player can't play in that system. All right, you've got my attention. I'm willing to see what happens with that, right? And you say, well, who cares what you're willing to do? Fair point. Um, if your philosophy is pragmatism, and I'm just going to chop and change and be pragmatic, it makes no sense to leave out your most talented players because surely the most pragmatic approach is a system that can incorporate them by definition. You see what I'm saying? That like if, you're, if your philosophy is pragmatism, then the most pragmatic approach is the one that incorporates your best players. Now, maybe not in every game. Maybe City away, you say the most pra- pragmatic approach is sit in a shell and we can't do that with Mesodos. Okay, fine. But you see what I'm saying? That you can't be a pragmatist and as part of your pragmatic approach, not use the best players that are in your squad. That That is harder to reconcile for me. And so... You know, I I do think the challenge here, the reason people are struggling with Emery so much right now is not just because we're fair-weather fans, although that, you know, look, I am certainly a a fair-weather fan. I mean, we know that much. But no, I mean, seriously, like, it's not that we're fair-weather fans. It's that because we haven't seen any clear progress towards a specific, specific style of what Emery wants us to do, that now that the results have stopped coming, what's laid bare is that we are still this kind of amorphous blob of a team. Um, and that and that is really the problem, Clive. I mean, for me, I, I want to really get behind Emery. I still, okay. in mid-January, cannot okay. tell you really what he's about, and that is what's making it so difficult. And then when I factor in that he feels like he's too conservative and that he's alienated some of our best players in pursuit of what is an unclear end point to me in terms of football, how he wants to play— I, give me some some footholds here for what about Emery's football? Because I, sh- I want to support the guy. I mean, he's he's our manager. What should I be getting behind specifically? <laughs> well, I I know we've we've had many conversations, and I know that you're really keen to understand his philosophy, right? I am. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. sometimes you talk about pressing, and sometimes you talk about our our, our build up play, and we've we've lost one of our build up players in um in Mikatarin, by the way, who I think is significantly missed to help make those overloads and combinations with Iwobi, and I think some of our best performances have come with those two playing, so we missed that build up player. When we discussed the uh, Denis Suarez player, there was lots of people saying that's not a priority. That's not what we need. We need a centre-half. We need a left-back. So what people are saying there is we need to upgrade the players we have to be better at playing the way that we play currently. So we don't get run. We don't get bullied, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But really, I, I actually was really pleased to see the Denis Suarez link, whether I rate him or not. But what that's telling us is this is how I want to play. These are the sort of players I want in attacking midfield. I want ball-carrying, tricky assist-makers. I'm thinking that now I'm thinking how can Emery define an offensive philosophy with two of the key people that have held Wenger's offensive philosophy for the last five years that either he doesn't like or he's not allowed to keep for financial reasons. We're not clear. We probably think maybe one of them has got a bit of a clash and one has basically priced himself out of a move to Arsenal. He had to go somewhere else. Um, we can all debate those reasons, right? And and so from a fan's point of view, we're looking around thinking, well, actually, those two players, 
there's, there's a bit of a gap behind them. We're putting a heavy reliance on a 19-year-old and a heavy reliance on an 80-year-old who's 22. So hold on a minute. From a talent perspective, we need those players playing because they make me feel better. I recognise them. They make me feel comfortable and their talent on the good days is really, really good. But actually, are we then sitting here and doing and supporting our mates who are saying, actually, you've got a philosophy. I have to trust it's coming and I have to wait for it to come. And I have to trust that you're doing the right things by changing the culture in the team, by removing some of the people that really own the old culture. Now, the problem we have, Elliot, this is why I think why the airs come out of the club, is as soon as that statement when he said, I can only do loans, that sort of took our enthusiasm away because we're thinking we're in a January market, we're going to be busy, we're going to get a chance to see what players he likes and develop his philosophy. Now we seem, just just for debating's sake, now we have this group of players, potentially can't add to them, and how could he develop his style without any of the key offensive positions with his players in there? And I think that's we have a problem here. So now we're thinking, so what What do you stand for, Emery? What do you stand for? We're not clear. It comes back to my communication point earlier on. So we're desperate for a philosophy, but I'm worried that we can't get there because the club is going through a financial restructure, which I fully support, by the way, because I think we've pissed away millions, a financial restructure on wages. And while we're doing that, we need to remove things and get people out the door so we can rebalance. And in the meantime, I'm afraid the manager is going to be two or three defeats from being hung out to dry. And if it goes past January and he cannot address anything, then we're in a bit of trouble here. However, this could all change really quickly. Potentially one or two people could leave. Potentially one or two people can come in. And the, and the, and the, everyone feels slightly differently. But God be honest with you, mate, I'm normally quite positive. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. And I like, there's not a piece of communication I can hold on to that says that is going to happen. And therein lies why mm. everyone is so nervous. Well, now I feel better. Thank you for that. <laughs> that's what I mean. I'm here all week. I'm here all week. Hey, well, good, good thing, too. You wait, to the tra- wait for the transfer pod. <laughs> yeah, that, one, that one's going to be busy. Um, we can just play the sound of crickets, but <laughs> I'm sure we come up with something. Um, I mean, Tim, how fair is it to, I mean, not fair. Let, let me re- rephrase that. To what extent does the desire to back Emery at this point and, and really get behind him almost necessitate a frustration with the decision-making at the top of the club? They, they really do seem at odds because it's pretty clear that the squad has needs that are not being met by the players Emery has. And, you know, when he took the job, he must have known what he had to work with, but clearly what he has to work with is not able to implement the philosophy or the the approach that he wants. And so he's going to need his players to do that. And, you know, I have some sympathy mm-hmm. to this extent. It's not just about the players that play the way you want. Every big manager, when they get to a big club, usually brings a player with them or brings in a player that knows them. And that becomes their ally on the pitch. You know, they're, yeah. they're almost like their assistant coach in the team. And Emery doesn't have that. I don't think you could say Ganduzi is that, but it may explain why... Genduzzi has played so much because Emery may mm-hmm. have that connection with him from PSG. Um, you know, if it's not Emery, you know, and certainly he's made some missteps and there are questions about him, but, you know, that how much does it concern you that the club is not backing him in the market and how much is the market needed for Emery to really be able to achieve what he wants? Yeah, I mean, the market's totally needed. Um, you know, that's why I think, like, transfers are not, 
not um, a subject I've, I've ever had that much enthusiasm for, but I think it's absolutely right to have enthusiasm for it at the moment because, you know, we need and you, Tim. We're going to change it, you, mate. We got it, to it, it, exactly, exactly, and that that doesn't necessarily mean you know we must. But it'd be nice if we could spend hundreds of millions. But it it doesn't mean what um, the things that usually excite well certainly Arsenal fans about transfers in the last few years because we've had the same manager for a long time and it's more you know the the kind of spending money is the goal kind of thing whereas actually now i think there's like a proper like tactical interest in what we do in the market um at the moment and and i i did think last week um i it it took me a couple of days to get here actually but i did wonder with that we can only loan players comment i I did start to wildly speculate in my mind was that like a pithy comment because Emery said, I want Dennis Suarez and I want Eva Benega. And, uh, you know, the transfer committee, as it were, have said to him, um, we're not we're not spending the family silver on those guys. You can have them on loan. Um, but, you know, we, we we we're not we're not prepared to spend 25 million on Dennis Suarez and we're not prepared to spend on another 30 year old. Um, which, which I could kind of understand because I'm not sure how excited I am about those players. I, th- I mean, I think ultimately when you look at it, if we replace Ramsey and Ozil with Denis Suarez and Eva Benega, that does kind of say um, Thursday nights it is for the next few years. But then there is, and Clive's quite right to bring this out, then there is the, the kind of question, but if they're the type of players he wants and they're the players that help us play in the manner that we want, then surely they make us better than the sum of their individual parts. So while they're not as talented as Ozil and Ramsey, if they get the motor running for Arsenal, then then they could be valuable in, in the same way that you know we think... Uh, I think it won't be. I, I get people's frustration with him. I get that he's inconsistent, but I think he's valuable to this team because he's the only player in that mould we have. And I think something similar about Mkhitaryan. I understand why people don't like Mkhitaryan. I think he's frustrating. He's inconsistent. Sometimes, you know, his his end product is wildly variable but i think he's valuable just because he's he's kind of like the only player like that that we have and you know uh, and those aren't top tier players rob holding is not a top tier defender but he made our defense better just because he was the type of def- he was the right type of defender and so i think we've got an issue here with the types of players we've got yeah. and um it does kind of worry me a little bit and it might just be my brain running away with itself when emery says oh we can only loan players it 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 sounds a bit rafa benitez you know like he's been told we're not spending 25 million on Dennis Suarez. It's not who Sven wants. He's, you know, he he doesn't rate him that much. He doesn't want to spend like half or a third of our transfer budget on this guy, but we'll take him on loan. And so, you know, has Emery just gone to the press conference and said, right, well, we can only do loans. You know, is it that kind of heated, pointed kind of a comment? And it might not be. It might not be. But at the moment where we don't have this information, where basically it's like the Ozil thing, right? We don't have all the information, but something has happened. And so we're all frantically filling in the gaps. And that's, uh, and I guess that's kind of what's happening here as well. Maybe I'm just guilty of filling in gaps that aren't really there. But yes, I think that's a concern. And as a reminder, yeah. Valentine's Day is a month away. So speaking of filling in gaps, so, you know, just, just something to consider. <laughs> Clive, it sounded like you wanted to jump in there. 
Oh well, yeah, well, Tim, we're we're arriving at the same station, right? I think it's it's a communication, isn't it? And I think we're, we're trying to fill in these gaps, and I and I, I just feel, I just feel we have to breathe, breathe, and say, hold on a minute here. We've lost a couple of games we shouldn't have lost. Southampton and West Ham. If we win those games, the debate will be different. What's happening right now? We're in the month of January, and this is the month of cleansing. It should be and renewal. And we've done neither yet. And it's two weeks in, and we've lost a game. Two weeks' time, it could look different. And even though I'm I'm wavering a little bit about the, the lack of clarity, and I'm wavering about some of the rumours that, that we're hearing in the background about our relationship with our star player and our manager, I'm wavering about what's going to happen to Aaron Ramsey. He's going to stay for the season, or has he taken his medical, and he's going to go now for a fee? And that could be the the domino that we need to kick off our transfer window. There's so many strands strands out there that I'm waving on, but I just feel in the next two weeks, something and somebody at the club has to give the fan base some clarity. Surely Arsenal as a club must realise they cannot underestimate how vociferous this fan group can get if they feel something is not going quite right. They've just had five years of it, solid, we just had five months of unity, and here we are again, just about to blow. All right, so we need that clarity really quickly, or uh, it's gonna, we're going to be back to the placards and planes. Just, just as a really brief rejoinder to that as well, the atmosphere in the away end was very, very quiet. It, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't mutinous by any means, but it was quite. It was like a home game. It was very quiet, and. Yeah. And it, yeah, I I agree with you. I I feel like people are maybe holding up. back. They're, yeah, they're yeah. Or maybe, even, maybe even worse, that apathy is creeping back in, and people are asking questions about Cronky and things like that. And again, filling in the gaps. Is it Cronky who's told us we can't spend any money? And and it's, I, it it feels like it's underneath the surface. It definitely does. I think before it was so easy, right? We had this guy that we knew so well, knew his every move, and we could throw everything at Wenger. Everything was his fault. Any bad result is his fault. Any bad transfer is his fault. Any bad system is his fault. Right now, we don't know where to throw the mud. Is it the owner? Is it the fact that Gazidis has gone? Is it a legacy from the Wenger era? Is it the fact the coach can't speak the language? Is it the fact there's no communication? Is it the fact that the players are siding with Ozil? Are they upset that, upset that Ramsey's going? Why is he going? Loads of Ozil and Ramsey videos flying around. All this is leading towards disunity. And for the first time, we had it. And now they have to bring it back. I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, who's going to do that then? How are we going to do that? We've got Man City, May United and Chelsea coming up next two, three weeks. How are we going to do that? How are we going to bring the unity back? We can only do that by football. We're looking at our talent base. We can't change that. Some, some of our most talented players are either not available or not in favour. Right? So, okay. We've got some work to do. Am I confident? I'm, I'm 50-50 on this. I really am. And in, I'll tell you now, the next two, three weeks, it, they're massive. They're absolutely massive where we're heading up. And that's going to dictate to how we drive into the summer. The Europa League game versus Bate Borisov suddenly looking quite large, right? And that's going to suddenly become a massive tournament for us because we need to do something there because we don't get the points against the big boys. 
we are not getting top four by the league. We're only one defeat away from that sinking in. And then that's going to have an effect on the fan base. It's going to have an effect on the players. And it's going to make us focus on that cup tournament. And so therein lies the problem, mate. But at the moment, again, we have no clarity. So gap filling is all we can do. And I don't like that. I like to hear, I like to do this from a little bit of science and there's nothing coming out of the club at the moment. Yeah, I will say this. I, I, the fact that we're having an existential conversation about a manager six months into his appointment feels very, very strange. The paradigm shift that we have to get used to is the fact that we're not going to have a 20-year manager anymore. That's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. A long <clears throat> tenure would be five years. A normal tenure would probably be three. And mm-hmm. so... You know, the window within which you start to evaluate progress is going to be a lot shorter. Do I think it should be this short? Probably not, because he's not coaching his team yet. But he is coaching the team that he was handed in a situation where there probably wasn't a lot of room for change. What I will tell you is I think the reason that there is so much debate about Emery right now is not related to results. I think the results we got earlier in the season kept the conversation bubbling under the surface because people didn't necessarily see great football in a clear plan, but they saw results and they thought, well, you know what? He's getting it done by hook or by crook. This is what we wanted Arson to do and he wasn't doing it. Now we're looking at it, we're saying, what have we seen this season that points in a clear upward trajectory? Because let's be clear, Unai Emery was not handed his team. He was not handed a perfect team, far from it. He was handed a team that was better than what Arson had last season. And to this point, I think it is fair to say he has not done anything better with it. And so that's why I think people are confused. You know, you did get Socrates, who's been an improvement, I think, over what we had. And you did get uh, Torreira, who was a a player Arson needed for basically a decade and never had. Um, You know, and you have Aubameyang for the whole season, including a preseason, which Arson didn't have last season. So I think it is fair to look at that and, you know, a couple extra pieces here or there and say, well, you know, it'd be nice to see clear signs of improvement that, you know, Arsene was at the end of his career and probably was just totally washed and, and ready to be moved on, you know, compared to what we have now, it would be nice to see clear signs of improvement on the pitch. And so I don't think that these questions are, I don't think it is ridiculous to be asking these questions. I think it would be ridiculous to draw conclusions at this stage. I think it is too mm. soon for that. Uh, I certainly agree that it would be nice if we could see Emery get backed with a player or two. Um, and the thing that scares me is what if Raul and Sven have looked at each other and been like, you want to back him? I don't know. You want to back him? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. What, if, what if there is just that little bit of doubt that says, let's see how this season finishes before we go spending 25, 30, 40 million pounds on players he needs. And that is unfortunate because at the end of the day, I think once you decide to hire a manager, you almost have to say, with this decision goes a check for X amount of dollars in the transfer market. And we just accept mm. it. Because if you don't back the manager in the market... At some point, you know, you put one bullet in him before he even starts. And that's where I think we are. Tim, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And what, what this will come down to. Uh, and again, we could be speculating on stuff that's not actually happening, but we're filling gaps again. But what what this would come down to, I had this conversation with um, with a friend of mine on, on Saturday who's, you know, who's, I think from the start has been fairly down on Emery, had, had observed his his work in Spain and France and didn't ever really feel like it was a, it was the right appointment. And uh, we were kind of talking through some things and I, I was kind of, you know, he was quite critical and we had, we had like, you know, a, a respectful back and forth. And at the end, I was just kind of saying, well, is this any of Emery's fault then? Because, um, 
you know, if he hasn't got the players he wants and, you know, we always know he's been this like, you know, I suppose fairly conservative coach who sets up in a certain way. And, uh, and he said, yeah, absolutely. Totally. He, you know, he, his, his, um, kind of his conclusion was not so much like he has issues with Emery as a manager that, that, that date back before he joined Arsenal, but where he came to was this was the wrong appointment. And, um, and like you say, I I think we're we're too early to say to say something like that. And you know, we win the next couple of games. Um, that's it's going to be heresy to say that again. Um, but I, but what what we're referring to here again is not how we feel or how we see it, the fans, but how the club sees it. And and yeah, if if indeed that problem exists, where Sven and Raul are looking at each other and going. <laughs> I don't want to spend 25 million on Dennis Suarez or I don't want to spend, you know, I don't want to get another 30 year old in, in ever Benega then, then yeah, that, that, that's a very fundamental issue because you, you're always going to get like, when you put big decisions like transfers into the hand, into many hands, yeah, you're going to get friction. You're going to get disagreement and that's not necessarily wrong. That's just part of having a thorough process. But, you know, I suppose the the question is: At what point does it become unhealthy friction, and at what point is it that you're just not you you've you've gone cold on the manager, and that that would make it put it this way: If we end up if if we end up like getting rid of Unai Emery before his contract is up, that's because he was the wrong appointment um, ultimately, and that's that's where you know I I think I said on the Askcast last week that I I thought the next two transfer windows were going to be really interesting because last summer was basically done without Emery's input because of the way the timelines were. But this is the first time that a transfer window comes along and he's got his say. Um, you know, I, Emery is not getting no say on transfers. That's ridiculous. I see a lot of people saying that and it's, it's bullshit. It's just, he's part of a committee um, effectively. And th- this is the first time that he's really getting to sit down with um, fellow decision makers and, and, and talk about these points. And that's why, you know, you look at the the business we did last summer and it was done very quickly. And I wonder if that will continue to happen because just, you know, just because naturally we'll have three people um, talking about the decisions. Will that, it might, it might lead to better decisions, but they, they might take a little bit longer to bear out. So that that's why the, the comments about the loan, they kind of worry me because they make me think has there been a really early bit of maybe unresolvable friction there um but you know if we beat chelsea on saturday we probably don't have this discussion on the post chelsea podcast so it's it's kind of it's easy for the storm clouds to gather when uh, after a defeat and this conversation would be no less relevant and no less um opposite just because we won a game it's just we wouldn't discuss it we had this discussion after several good results during the you know project 22 period vis-a-vis about about like tactics and strategy and things like that yes but not so much on on this transfer discussion which i think has Uh, really added something and and before i just just let you dive in real quick let me just have a, a really really quick response to that too which is at the end of the day the the big bullet in the gun here is Mesut Ozil because you've got a superstar player that's a big personality in the game on a massive wage who is irretrievably, seemingly irretrievably at odds with the coach. And that that 
tension if it is not resolved one way or the other with Messit leaving somehow, I don't know how he would, or Emery and Messit mending bridges, that will end Emery's tenure. Because I, I know Paul's position on this, and you guys can disagree with me all you want. If Ozil can't be moved on, you cannot have a coach who cannot work with your highest paid superstar. You can't. You can't. I mean, you just can't have that. Go ahead, Clutch. Now, you've got to, you got to, you have, if you appoint somebody, you've got to support him. Forget the money. If he says, this is not what I want, you've got to support him in that decision. You've but got how? to either create what, what do you a, do? You've got, you, it's, you've got to create a market for him. You've got to make it difficult. or what, And you can't be not, you cannot make the players run the asylum. You just can't do that, right? It's very important that we understand that. We can't just defer to the players because we had a bad result. Right? I think it's really important. Remember, we, we just come out of a, a regime which was very one-man dominated. and uh, We wanted destruction. We wanted depth. We wanted people with roles and responsibilities. Now we have it. Now we're questioning how that operates. Again, we don't know who to blame. Right? So now we're going back to the players and we're thinking, well, why aren't this player playing? Why is that player playing? We need to breathe here, man, take a more holistic view. We're going through change, and part of that change is changing the culture and taking out the key people within that culture. If you were to look at Arsenal for the last five years or so, there's about there's, there's players that spring to mind that own the culture. and You'd say Koscielny could be one. You'd say Ozil, Ramsey, maybe Theo Walcott. These are key Wenger fundamental players. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying if you want to move forward and develop your team, you have to be allowed to take some of these people out of the club. And it's painful, but let I make I remind you, these players took us out the top four for the first time. We didn't blame them. We blamed the manager and how he deployed them. We're not talking about stellar players that other top six clubs want. We have to wake up to the fact that we have a talent issue, we have a player type issue, and we're not going to be able to rebuild if we hold on to all our favourites and pay them more money. It's that simple. So the decision is, do we trust the manager and, and are we going to support him? And that, that comes from the fan base and the club, more importantly the club. And the worry I have is, I'm not sure the club are supporting him. They are supporting what they want to do to restructure, and are they allowing the manager to restructure his team? I mean, if they're not, we're going to have a lot more of these Emery pods, mate. Let me ask you a question. Though, football what, matches. What, what if Messick can't be moved? Well, they're going to have to find out. They're going to have to pay him off. Pay him off? Gonna, Just uh, pay off his contract and let him walk they're, away? They're, they're, they can't they're, do they're that. Probably, they're, they're probably working out the deal right now. You think about it. The, the agent came out and Just said... Just give him money to not play not, for Arsenal? Like, to, what to do, release what him do you from... Think, what, what do you think happens in football? If a, if, a, if a buying club comes to buy a player... You don't pay 26 million pounds to a player no, I'm and not say, saying that. Uh, Listen to me, right? Yeah. When, you, when a player is moved on, if the buying club doesn't want to support the full contract, the, the selling uh, club uh, yes, sometimes uh, pay uh, part of that contract of course, yes. to make the deal work. Yes, right? of course. No, that, so yes, right sorry, now, I follow you now. Yes, I follow you. So right now, situations already appeared, right? There's rumors of him of a bust-up. The first thing the agent says at start of the window is, Meza Ozil loves it at Arsenal. In fact, he wants to see out his full contract and would like to stay longer. <laughs> you, know that, you know what that tells you? That tells you, I'm not going to China, my son. I'm going to go when I'm good and ready. And if you do make me go, I want my money. That's what that means. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, of course. Of that, no, no. I, I thought you meant just job. like pay, buy him off if you can't find a place to sell him and pay him his money to sit <laughs> on the beach. He just wants to make sure he gets his money. It's his football. Yes. 
They don't no, give a shit I, I about totally us. Agree. They care about the money coming through. Right? So you, you do think that Messi can be moved paid. on and that it's incumbent upon the club to do it if they're backing Emery. And I, they, I, I agree. So right now, this is about money. How much is it going to cost us to get ourselves out of this crap deal we've got ourselves into? And we need to make it difficult to make it so it doesn't cost us much money. Ozil's got some pretty good agents. right? We've seen that. And he's got some pretty good agents that hold, look after his PR profile very, very well. They've got the striking first. They're making sure that everyone knows he's working hard in the background, all the rest of it. At the moment, the manager doesn't see eye to eye to him. That's what's really going on. And we have to decide what, what side of the mm. fence that we're on. Basically, I'm on the club side. Whatever the club decides, I'm good with. No, I, I, I hope look- it does not cost this guy his job. Because if it does... We just roll someone else in, and when another player gets a bit strong, what's going to happen then? We're going to side with that player, and how are we going to progress? We we'll never progress if we if we keep reacting yeah. in this true way as a club. Look, I I absolutely totally agree with you that that's an area where if something can be done, clearly it has to be. I mean, Tim, so let's finish on that. I mean, for you, what what outcome is possible and what outcome is necessary with Mesodozo? Um, I I don't know the answer to the first one other than because uh, it's tremendously tricky um, situation and like Clive says I think you know all, all the stuff that's come out is that Ozil wants to stay doesn't have an international place to worry about anymore um, and yeah that's 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 a kind of that's a dig in the heels in and like Clive says not necessarily that you know he just loves London Colney so much it's a kind of you know I'm I'm not going until until I get what I'm worth but as to what's desirable, I mean, I, th- I think it's just desirable for everybody for him to move on. That's, you know, however that happens is exceptionally difficult. But I, th- I think that's for the best. And that's not necessarily because I hate him and I want him gone. It's just this is clearly an issue um, now. And I think it's quite a harmful one, um, you know, for our reputation and everything. And it obviously it just always dominates the discourse. I kind of said jokingly on Twitter this evening that this is rep- like Ozil's almost like stepped into the Wenger vacuum. Uh, <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yep. Agree. Absolutely agree. <laughs> that we can like be divided on and we all know about. really well. And, uh, We're all very familiar with the debate. There's very <laughs> strong fault lines across it. That's a great analogy. Yeah. It, it, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know what the, the conclusion I've come to over the last year or so people like arguing, people like disagreeing. That's why um, people get, like hugely upset about someone's toenail being offside because they like because be- <laughs> they like being upset and they like arguing and they like they like believing that the world's against them and they you know like having something to fight against and and that's kind of what we're creating here again with this situation and you know as Ur- like you say he's he inspires the kind of tribalism that you know a lot of football clubs don't even attract so um i i think it's just in everyone's best interest in the player to go somewhere else and do something else. Um, and, you know, show that he's a fantastic footballer again. It's, it's in Arsenal's interests. Clearly it's in Unai Emery's interests. It's, it's in everyone's interests. I think at this stage, if he goes and Emery gets, you know, someone else in who perhaps suits a little bit more what we want to do, but, you know that that's easier said than done and that's that's why the first question is the pertinent one here what's the possible outcome because that that's not easy that's really not an easy situation for the club yeah i mean 
as a last and perhaps yeah, yeah. sorry mm-hmm. just just as a final thought and perhaps that's one of the things with having you know like a committee above emery but perhaps if he had to deal with that side he might not be as you know and again i'm not necessarily like criticism this is kind of more of just an amusing aside but perhaps if he had to deal with it in the way that wenger would have you know like all right you go and sell us or maybe um maybe he wouldn't be so quick to do it but yeah um you know it's like well that's someone else's job you know I, i'm i'm putting my line in the sand i don't want him um you guys you you deal with that do you agree with my assessment though that for better or worse i'm not blaming emery on this but that a falling out with the highest paid player at the club the biggest star at the club who may not be easily moved on is the kind of thing even more than results that can end a coach's tenure at a club like Arsenal yeah. because of the investment in Ozil. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look at, um, you know, even someone like Jose Mourinho at a club like Manchester United, you know, one of the, probably the biggest name in management, um, you know, name in man- well, brand in management, let's say that um, in the last 20 years and possibly the biggest brand in football. And, and what did it all come down to? Mourinho versus Pogba. It came down to a soap opera. And people like soap operas. People like people like fighting and arguing, and people like watching other people fight and argue. And and that's how the whole thing was framed. I mean, obviously you had the results in the background, but this Mourinho and Pogba thing never went away. And and eventually, just you know, it was clear that one of them had to go. Uh, and it made much more sense for United because of the results, in particular, to side with Pogba. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. There's sort of an epidemic of it with the Mourinho thing at United. And now you look at Madrid where Isco's frozen out and they've been terrible. And, you know, what's going on with those old Arsenal. And, you know, maybe the message here is just that, you know, you got to be careful about putting people on huge contracts or letting players, you know, have so much power to club unless they're Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi because they can really hamstring coach. In any event, we've gone on long enough on a game that certainly wasn't that interesting and i think we've gone into some interesting places with it but i want to reiterate that we are all still very much behind emery wanting him to succeed maybe scratching our head a little about how he's going about it and what he's trying to do and how the club is seemingly not backing him but hopefully there'll be some clarity that comes in the next couple of weeks because the game against chelsea combined with the window closing may bring us some answers and may bring us closer to understanding you know where the season is headed and hopefully in a good direction because that would be more fun to talk about than what we just did in any event tim's on twitter at stoberto tim it's great to have you back my pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Scott. How many times do you get to write nasty things about Scott? Today is the day. And it's January 14th. We're recording this. One month. You got one month to fill those gaps, everybody. And by fill those gaps, I mean prepare for Valentine's Day. In any event, uh, yeah, we'll be back with more in the near future. Big game coming up. We'll also have some new Patreon content coming up. So uh, lots to do. We love you. We appreciate you for sticking with us through thick and thin, uh, which is maybe a lesson for us. We need to stick together through thick and thin, something to think about. In any event, um, yeah, it's going to be nail-biting time because we got a big game coming up at the weekend. So we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Chelsea Nail.